Want truly hydrated skin? Meet Osea's Body Care Breakthrough Hyaluronic Body Serum. It's clinically proven to increase hydration by 161%. It's lightweight, fast-absorbing, and delivers 24 hours of hydration for silky smooth skin without any sticky afterfeel. Treat your skin to clean, vegan skincare from Osea. Get 10% off your first order with code SUMMER at OseaMalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A Malibu.com code SUMMER. Hello and welcome to Commons People, the Huffington Post politics podcast. I'm Ned Simons and I'm joined by Martha Gill and Paul War. Now, people are voting as we speak in the super exciting Richmond by-election. Uh, are people going to re-elect Zach Goldsmith or replace him with the Lib Dem? Um, here's a clip, first of all, of Bob Geldof uh, campaigning on behalf of the Lib Dems uh, yesterday. Zach is crap! Zach is crap! Zach is crap! So, guys, what's going to happen? Who's going to win? Zach or, or Lib Dems? Well, the latest intel um, from both main candidate seems to be that it's so close it could be within 2,000 votes either mm. way I mean that really is close it's a 23,000 majority we should yep. say for exactly. Zach at the moment it's an enormous so. mountain for Lib Dems to climb there's no question about that and um, I do live there as I've made clear in various uh, pieces um, it's an unusual uh, by-election because it's very rare to have a by-election where a sitting candidate is in the race so normally True. by-elections people are dead you know or they've decided to retire yeah. or whatever but this a bit like David Davis is one of the most recent ones where he had a by-election, he called it just on civil liberties. Yeah. But actually there, there was no opposition because everyone thought it was a slightly you know, interesting uh, side debate and there wasn't much interest nationally. And the similar one was when Douglas Carswell quit to, because he said he would on a point of principle because he was joining UKIP. But in, Car- in Carswell's seat of Clacton, massive UKIP majority yeah. there anyway. So it wasn't really a test for him. This is different. This is a test because Zach's called it ostensibly because of Heathrow, he's objecting to the government's decision to go ahead with a third runway. Yet, the Lib Dems have tried to make this into a Brexit by-election. Mm. And the big question is, have they succeeded? And mm. I have to say, it was bloody cold this morning. And um, Sarah Orney, the Lib Dem candidate, voted at my local polling station, literally two streets away from my house, at, at, at um, seven in the morning. And, you know, I'm not quite sure who's going to turn out because... On the one hand, Zach mm. could say he's got such a strong personal vote locally. There's no question you see him cycling around. He goes to local schools. He's definitely popular. Um, but has that popularity, does that translate into people getting out in the freezing cold and going out to vote for someone, to support them? Or is it more likely that actually the people who are really motivated on a cold mm. day to vote are people who really got a bee in the bonnet and want to object to something and protest about it? And that's what by-elections tend so to be, protest votes. Give me, give me your predictions then. Obviously, a lot of listeners, this may be going out after the results come in. So yes. this is my chance to show everyone up. <laughs> I'm certainly not calling it. I mean, I don't know either. I mean, the Lib Dems have been throwing everything at this, haven't they? Yeah. Because, I mean, fake newspapers as well as... Uh, you name it. Yeah, everything they've got. Because really, if they lose this, it's kind of the, the whole sort of... There's been a slight right. momentum behind them, sort of Lib Dem come back on the issue of Brexit. And if they can't win this by-election, it sort of looks like that's over for them. What do you think? I agree. I mean, it's it's high stakes for them. They've had a series of local by-election victories, mm. lots of them since um, the election and since Brexit. And they've got momentum, as Martha says. This would kill it stone dead in many ways, that momentum. It also means that actually, if Zach wins... 
the public, even in a heavily Remain area like Richmond Park, which is nearly 70% voted Remain, have done a collective meh. Okay, what can we do about Meg Brexit? Uh, you know, well, actually, really? And they might actually think, well, adding, turning the Lib Dems from eight to nine MPs, is that really going to stop Brexit? I mean, of course it isn't. Do, do you think they could argue, I mean, obviously the Heathrow issue is, is probably a, a big part of this. If this was happening in mm. another seat where there wasn't that other big issue, you've yeah. got is Brexit perhaps against Heathrow. If this was... <laughs> Sure. If that and bit if, didn't exist. Well, I don't they know, tried that in Cameron's but, seat, don't forget. They were never going to win Cameron's seat, were they? Whereas know, this, is, but, this is a seat where they've yeah. got a reasonable good chance of winning. If, if the Brexit vote shows us anything, it's that people vote on sort of quite local issues like more immigrants coming into the area that they don't hmm. uh, that they, they don't like rather than sort of big uh, big picture issues like the economy. Well, so I, I wonder if this will be the problem I, I in like Richmond the, um, because 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 of Heathrow rather than sort of a, a sort of a national because on the Lib Dem um, leaflets, so it says, you know, I think it's like things to do today. And one of them says, change the country. Yeah, which is exactly. You've got to admire there. And they've certainly, as I say, the stakes are really high for them. They've made them high. And that's what I think is interesting. Martha's right. You know, by-elections can, and general elections can be decided on local issues. But general elections actually normally, no matter how good or how well-liked you are, that counts for nothing if there's a national mood. And lots of MPs throughout history have, have been burned. They thought, oh, I've worked so hard on this seat and only to see it burned by a national result yeah. and so there is a difficulty there but the really interesting thing is this micro point if you actually are like a lot of people in Richmond Park who rely on Europe for your job if mm. you work in the city, that city workers, sure. then and not just the bankers but secretaries people all the ancillary stuff if you rely on some if you're very livelihood and you're really worried about it going because of a former Brexit you don't like you're going to go turn out to vote, mm. I would have thought. That's why it's interesting, this by-election. But we've talked about, I mean, yeah. certainly there's lots of posters, lots of leaflets from Lib Dems. They're doing a very old-school campaign. But I think what could be interesting is the new media campaign. And I was talking to someone today on Twitter who got in touch saying, actually, the Facebook ads are quite interesting in this campaign. Zach has got a lot of... Uh, effort on Facebook campaign ads and the, so have the Lib Dems. They've really mm. changed their game from 2015 when they were hammered on Facebook and on Google, uh, paid yeah. off, paid for ads. Not in South West London just, but also in South West Britain um, where they actually lost lots of seats and were wiped out by the Tories. The Tories were brilliant in they're 2015. Much better at that, yeah. This race, the Lib Dems are learning some of those tricks and it will be interesting to see whether or not they've got their act together. And also on Richmond, what what is, what, what do we expect from Labour? <laughs> I mean, they obviously, I think they've got about 7,000 votes in the last, you know. Yeah. Are we expecting that to drop well, quite far down? I heard a suggestion they might lose a deposit. Is that something we could see? Well, you know, I mean, if they lost a deposit, that would be very bad news for Jeremy Corbyn, be pre precisely because he would then face the squeeze of the Lib Dems again being the natural choice in the South and maybe UKIP mm. being the natural anti-Tory choice in the North. And so you really don't want that to happen. However, you're right about, I mean, last last election it was 7,000 for Labour but that was a, a really erroneous result mm. traditionally Labour are nowhere in Richmond Park they had 3,000 or 2,000 right. so what we could see is a reversion to the norm where those the, a lot of people who are pissed off with the Lib Dems Labour yeah. voters actually swallow their, their pissed offness <laughs> and Brexit is a bigger issue attacking the Tories is a bigger issue and they go to Lib Dems equally the Lib Dems um, saw lots of people go 3,000 people went to the, to the Greens who again traditionally were nowhere in Richmond and now aren't standing and, are they in, and in they're Richmond. not standing and that could be really important and on top of that you've got the final really important group of voters the Lib Dems who switched directly from Lib Dems to the Tories and how upset are they and that's why I mm. think for Labour they're all, their danger is becoming an irrelevance in this actual contest as they 
the, that's the bigger national irrelevance. You mentioned well. UKIP, Paul. I think that's a good segue into UKIP. Yeah, I'm good at that. So uh, <laughs> doing my job for me, that's really useful. <laughs> um, so Paul Nuttall was elected their leader this week. Um, before we talk about that, let's play a clip of him celebrating his win. There are open goals in British politics today, but UKIP has to be on the pitch to kick the ball into the back of the empty net. And that open goal is no more apparent than when it comes to the Labour Party. Today, the Labour Party has ceased to speak the language or address the issues of working people. They have a leader that will not sing the national anthem, a shadow chancellor who seems to admire the IRA more than he does the British Army, a shadow foreign secretary who sneers at the English flag, and a shadow home secretary who advocates unlimited immigration. They have lost touch. They are more at home talking about the issues that swirl around the Islington dinner party than the issues that matter in working class communities. So whilst Jeremy Corbyn and his Labour Party debate the Palestine question, fair trade and climate change, we instead will debate and talk about issues that concern real working people in real working class communities. We will continue to call for a fair but firm immigration control that protects wages and ensures that British workers are not undercut. So Nuttall there, kind of finally taken over from Farage. Um, is he the right leader for you, Kit Martha? Do you think they picked you know, the northern the northerner is that good they're going to target labor well, yeah right the, the, sort of their next job is to win over northern labor voters mm. who seem kind of ripe for uh for, for switching to ukip he appeals them because he's from the north a lot of people are <laughs> sort of saying that's all we really need uh perhaps that's true um yeah i think i think i think certainly he's the candidate that have got the tories really delighted <laughs> and Labour really worried and about how, how what's worried, gonna happen yeah. to those 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 northern seats. How worried should um, Labour be, do we think? I think they should be worried. I mean he has he has some Achilles heels. He's he he's sort of always saying sort of outrageous things. Um which Although you, that has been uh, a sort of a characteristic of, of, of UKIP in the past, it, it, much harm, now, it? <laughs> no, but no, but now they're trying to professionalise. They're trying to weed out um, the sort of really out there supporters that they've got that bring them down. They're trying to sort of sort out their finances. They're trying to sort of present themselves as a as a plausible mm. alternative to Labour, um, and, and they're not going to be able to do that if he keeps on sort of saying he would. For example, he sort of he sort of said he he would have a referendum on the death penalty, for example. Uh, that, that's not something that's going to win. But are Labour, I mean, are Labour voters opposed to that? I mean, there's probably quite a lot of, um, let's say, socially conservative Labour voters who who would he, that be totally fine with I think with he presses sure, the right buttons for that audience, definitely. Mm. And, and and Martha's right. It, 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 there's a real tension here between UKIP trying to go down the Paddy O'Flynn route, which, and he, Patrick O'Flynn, used to work in the mm. lobby of the Express, is now an MEP. He was appointed just this week by Paul Nuttall as his senior political advisor, which I thought was very significant because the speech was very well crafted that bit you've just heard was a good example of how Nuttall was professionalized his message professionalized his act stepped up to the plate of being a leader 
and they want to unify the party. They want to get rid of all the, the dodginess, as Martha says, you know, the stuff that makes them look like a fringe candidates. And so they've got the tension between that professionalisation and actually still hitting the core buttons, which is death penalty, immigration, mm. crime, um, and not just Europe itself, obviously, but that's really hardcore social issues. And they do have an opportunity, don't they, in terms of, like he said in his speech about not letting Theresa May kind of water down Brexit. I mean, we saw today David Davis, the Brexit secretary, uh, conceding or, or, or saying that they might be willing to pay into the European budget to have access to the single market. If you're Paul Nuttall, you're dancing a little jig, aren't you? It's yeah. Things like that, which means they can say, look, this isn't proper Brexit. We've got to, you've got to vote for us to keep the pressure yeah. on Theresa The betrayal May. narrative is UKIP's strongest yeah. narrative. And it's the same for a lot of Tory Eurosceptic MPs. They're desperate at any point to say, look, you're betraying the voters. That was not what mm. we voted for when we voted to leave. And that you'll see that as a theme throughout the Tory party in the next few years. You'll certainly see it as UKIP's best hope of winning in the south as well as in the north um, and I think that's why immigration matters as well I mean today we had the immigration figures out mm. um, and Martha you saw those didn't mm. you I mean they, they, they're not good for the, a Tory government yeah, I mean, the, so this was looking in, in in the sort of quarter up to July, just before um, before yeah. Brexit happened, and it was sort of highest net migration ever and highest uh, influx of, of of migrants from the EU. So that that that, that doesn't look good for the Tories. We're not going to have restrictions, obviously, until um, Article Fifty mm. uh, until Brexit actually happens. Uh, so this. If this is any indication, it will continue to grow. Uh, Theresa Villiers, uh, Tory MP, kind of admitted that the Tories were not going to keep their um, their, their promises uh, and their, uh, to to reduce net migration um, by 2020. Uh, the promise they laid out in their manifesto. So this is all this is all pretty bad uh, yeah. for, for the Tories. And that's why I think UKIP have got an opportunity because it, it, people forget it now. But when um, the Romanians and the Bulgarians were were going to were being admitted, <laughs> when you said Romanians, I thought you meant. <laughs> No, the real <laughs> Romanians. Um, when they were admitted to, to to the EU and there was some, suddenly they were allowed to work, the transitional controls mm. were lifted and they were allowed to work in the UK. It was, you know, the dying end of the, the coalition government. And there was a lot of talk about, well, how many of them would actually come here? And there was a lot of ridicule about only one guy turned up and Keith Vazmet yeah, at the airport, etc. Yeah. But Keith, Nigel Farage at the time said, mark my words, I think there's going to be a lot of these people coming. And Eric Pickles refused to release the figures. But today we find out from the figures one of the, the largest groups that have, have decided to move mm. here are Romanians. Now, again, that is perfect for UKIP. It's saying, look, this not only underlines why we should leave, but you can't trust the Tories. But they do have some problems, though. I mean, two things, UKIP, money, the money they have. I mean, yep. the biggest, I mean, Aaron Banks, the donor, he's yep, sort of not lost problem. He's lost interest mm. a bit, hasn't he, in, in UKIP itself. And that could be an issue for them. And also, what does he do with Nigel Farage? I mean, in Nuttall's speech, he said, I'm happy for Farage to be front and centre. And, you know, I want him to be involved. But does it get in the way if, if Farage can't quite let go or steals a limelight? Or I is think it, it's is quite useful quite, for them. I think him coming back guest star appearances, actually cameos, is really good for them. It keeps, keeps the brand going. Yeah. Um, and actually, it, you know... I think the fact that he's got a stage in America makes UKIP supporters think, actually, we're credible. We're credible mm. with the President of the United States. You know, this credibility problem they've had for a long time. You're the fringe. You're, you're the loonies. They've ticked, they've got rid of that twice. First, by winning Brexit yeah. vote. And secondly, by having the guy in the White House treat them seriously. Yeah. So I think that, that actually helps them. The, the, I mean, even on things like Russia, where Paul Nuttall said even more um, outrageous things and Farage about cozying up to Putin. Mm. I actually think in some working class communities, 
actually that doesn't matter they like a strong man i hate to say this but you know mm. when it comes to all that stuff um basically he's saying the same thing as trump is saying which is mm. actually we need we're, we're equals russia and america and you know so what you know um common enemy is islamist terrorism that's all matters and that you know might go down well and i'm not sure that the the state of their finances is necessarily permanent if you look at all the donations right. that that came in before the um before last the last election mm. they were they it was it was pretty good and and i wonder whether those coffers are going to be opened again before the next election particularly as as paul was saying when we find out what the deal is on brexit because it's then that they'll be able to really hammer home their message of betrayal at the moment we don't really know they're dribs and drabs so we're not seeing the effect of that message yet but but we will see it yeah, I mean, one thing we haven't talked about is is why Labour are so worried about UKIP, and mm. obviously immigration is a thing. Um, we we said, you know, I think you did the story, Ned, about um, uh, at the weekend, Diane Abbott had said, you know, in an interview in the Guardian, that actually um, on immigration, let's have a liberal immigration policy and let's not be hard line on freedom of movement. And yeah, a few days later, you get people like John Healy saying, well, you know. Um, we need to have managed migration. You get people like Dan Jarvis saying, let's talk for the first time about a cap. Surely a cap is a good idea. Yeah. Um, and we had and Stephen Kinnock um, saying that the Labour Party needs to focus on the white working class, not um, not being obsessed with identity politics, identity as he politics. called it. Mm. I mean, it's difficult for Labour because they've got to find a form of language on this that works and maybe they will go for a cap because it's a simple doorstep message I do remember Alan Milburn of all people in in 2005 general election when he was election coordinator he toyed with the idea of of matching Michael Howard on having a quota on immigration they didn't do it at the time but they actually thought about it because they saw it was an issue in all the polling Um, in the end Blair won in 2005 pretty decent victory but it shows how worried they were even back then when they you know 2005 so who knows maybe they'll they'll edge towards a position on that but yeah people like ed balls who we'll go on to talk about certainly <laughs> think they're a missing a trick involving talking <laughs> of strong men you spoke to ed balls which again pulls <laughs> nicked my much worse <laughs> so yeah I mean, you spoke to ed balls this week and yep. he's been everywhere you interviewed him let's play a clip of him first i think that the prism of politics is really thick and the refraction of it means that when people look at you through that prism they never ever see you they only ever see the sort of, you know, the the, the refraction. So they only ever see politician. So that's the former shadow chancellor. Um, what do you get from him? What do you think he, he's up to? And Well, it was fascinating meeting him because, you know, he, he was, I met him at his house before he was due to go on Loose Women. You know, he'd never been on Loose Women before, this ITV programme. You know, it's an audience, a brand new audience, many Labour politicians, let alone any politician, is allowed on to. You know, you don't yeah. get that permission to, to be heard normally if you're a politician. Mm. So he's got a permission to be heard, which is really important in this game, in this day and age, particularly as well, when there's so much white noise around, just even being heard by the voters is half the battle. So there he is on on this very popular lunchtime programme, hitting a key demographic for for all politicians. Um, And he strictly has got this brand new audience for him. And it's just sort of made, again, a connection between him and the public in a way that very few MPs have had. And what was fascinating talking to him about it was just whether or not he was remotely thought that that connection would help him politically and he's completely unsure about it he Mm. thinks because there is a school of thought that actually people box things off and say yeah all right he was quite fun on strictly that doesn't mean i'm going to believe him on the deficit you know people can compartmentalize and that's why he was interesting on this idea he said you know 
politics is a prism and you're seen through that prism always. It's never the real you. The refraction is really strong. Um, and he said, strictly remove that prism temporarily. His worry is that if he went back into politics, the prism would be back. But then if there's an argument to be said in terms of permission to be heard, if he did decide to go back into politics and become the kind of, you know, the politician, the, the economist yeah. again, the fact he is now known for Strictly by a wider audience, it, yep. might, it might give him no, an opening to begin with. I which agree. He then, and then if it does end up, people forget he was on Strictly and they yeah. think of him again as the as a politician. But if it's that window he can he can use, that could that could be of yeah, use. Yeah, I mean, he talks about it in his book, you know, having a hinterland, you know, used to be quite an easy thing for politicians in, in the 60s, mm. 70s. You know, it wasn't a big deal. Suddenly in the modern age, it's become unusual. But Dennis Healy is a great role model. He talks about it at great length. You know, he was the guy who actually talked a lot about the hinterland you know they played the piano he was really interested in the arts you know your 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 ken clarks your ted heaths people who've got a sort of rounded view of the world actually is quite a good thing and unfortunately we seem to have shriveled our politicians right down to only sound bites rather not allowing them to be a human being yeah. and you know i think that's quite interesting yeah i wonder if the sort of the sort of the stronger impression you have of a hinterland the, the more you're protected against things being dug up against you because if you're only known as a politician then the sort of the smallest tidbit is very interesting mm. whereas if you're know, almost like donald trump you have such a strong brand yeah you can't you can't be hit I in think the same it, way it, the trump example is perfect isn't it because this, he's done so much for it into politics mm. so it became just another thing he'd done that was a bit perhaps dodgy or weird or would mm. get a normal politician in trouble it became well whatever he's done so many things you can't yeah. and, he, and he took it to his advantage he doubled down and he said yeah because i'm not i'm not a career politician and yeah. he could say that legitimately whereas a lot of politicians will say that and it's not i mean even nigel farage who says i'm not career politician who yeah. quite clearly is but one <laughs> thing that ball made balls made really clear was about any comeback is just how difficult it is for him because it's not just difficult in his local seat because in theory the boundary changes make it easier his seat becomes safe labor seat after 2018 but actually because he's not a sitting mp under the rules of the labor party it would be tracy braben in the next seat who has the first dibs on the seat not him so he's it sounds like he's given up on going back to morley but on even if he were to try any other clp anywhere in the country in a by-election or wherever even a general election he was stressing how the labor party membership now is so different so much bigger from when he was elected that actually he may not have a chance anyway so that could be really important okay quiz time and joining us is our guest quiz master uh HuffPost news reporter sarah harris hello um who's gonna put us all to the test because my quiz apparently aren't good enough so <laughs> i'm sure they're great um okay so i'm going to quiz you on some strange british laws oh so um i want you to tell me whether you think uh, this thing under British law is legal or illegal. Good. And let's hope that no one has broken any of these laws. Okay, so first question, legal or illegal. Selling alcohol to a drunk person. Legal. That's legal. illegal, surely. Selling alcohol to a drunk person? Yeah. It depends how I, drunk they are. I, mean, I think it's illegal. That happens all the time. I reckon it's it legal. does happen all the time, but I think it's illegal. I reckon but it's legal, but like... They, you know, to the discretion of the barman. I don't think it's legal. I think it's legal. I think it's legal. It's actually illegal. Ah. Uh, under the Licensing Act 2003, you cannot sell alcohol to a person who is drunk. How do they decide? Isn't that amazing? But it's that true. Is it is true. I did know that. Incredible. Okay, question two. Is it legal or illegal to carry a plank of wood on the pavement? 
You've made that up. That's nonsense. That has legal. to be. I mean, that's like, legal, how builders have to <laughs> plank of wood. Hmm. Uh, I'd say that might be legal. I think it's. I think it's legal unless there's some sort of extra sort of conditions around it that make it illegal <laughs> that you haven't told us. Okay, it is actually illegal. Yes, but really? what, in oh, what how circumstances? How big is a plank of wood? Like what? Do we know which act that comes <laughs> under, under? Section 54 of the Metropolitan Police Act 1839, Wonderful. which I'm sure is a very up-to-date law. Well um, done. It is Sarah, you, illegal, you, you. I'm afraid. Okay, is it legal or illegal to stand on a manhole between the hours of 2am and 6pm? That's legal. That's nonsense as well. I mean, I know I said it was nonsense before and I was 2 wrong. 2 a.m. and 6 p.m., did you say? Sorry, 2 a.m. and 6 a.m. 6 a.m. 2 a.m. and 6 a.m. Mm. Mm. I'd say maybe, maybe it's maybe illegal, illegal because of nighttime maintenance or something. I don't know. Yeah, maybe, Let's yeah, go maybe for they're illegal. all a bit loose at that point because people are going down to... Yeah, You think right. someone uh, might pop up and... Yeah, yeah like a I sort wonder. Of, so that's a safety actually, issue. It's actually completely legal. I made that. <laughs> oh, <laughs> that's very I see good. it in Okay, uh, question four. Is it legal or illegal to handle salmon in suspicious circumstances? That's not the same that is, Don't know why I'm looking in there. Suspicious circumstances. Sarah oh, that's very legal. Weird look. I don't believe it. I think that, I'd love to I, think it's true, but I don't believe it. Unless it's some Billingsgate sub-law. So you think it's legal to handle a salmon in suspicious circumstances? Well, someone, I've done it lots. <laughs> someone got ar- arrested for moving pike. The other week, however, what do you mean? Moving moving pike from one like body of water to another, and that's illegal. Not just waving in someone's face. However, but were they doing it suspiciously though? I don't. I do think it's quite suspicious (laughs) to move a lot of pike. I guess. (laughs) And I'm going to say it's. I'm going to say it's illegal. It is illegal. Wow. Uh, Under Section 32 of the 1986 Salmon Act. 86. 19, 1986. Well, yeah. Not 1886. So that's a modern no, no. law. This is yeah. that's extraordinary. We just admitted to breaking it on wow. yeah. public. Lock me up. <laughs> and finally, um, and I think you guys hopefully should know the answer to this. I've got them all wrong. And hopefully oh, none of you have flouted this yet. Is it legal or illegal to die in the Houses of Parliament? Ah, uh, there's a great myth about this. A lot of people say it is illegal, but actually. Because it's a royal palace, that's why people think it shouldn't be. You know, you're not yeah. allowed to die in a royal palace. But I think that it's not oh, that I, it is actually I, legal. This is one of those things that everyone has <laughs> always said, and I forget which is the actual answer. I think it's a sort of QI type thing. I think it's a myth, and I think you are allowed to die there. And you, you obviously once you're dead, it doesn't matter. Paul keeps looking at, every time Paul says dead, he looks at me, and it's really disconcerting. Let's just be honest. I mean, it's a very dangerous, dangerous building. So I think it's only fair that it'd be made legal. I reckon it's okay. legal. I th- I'm going to go with that one. It is legal. It's a common misconception. Yeah. Uh, okay. uh, but again, not an ideal place to die. Cool. I Thanks, Sarah. Quite so nice. well done, that guys. much better than any quiz we would have ever done. You can so. come back. <laughs> I'll come back. Thanks for listening, guys. See you next week. All right. When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia, movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details.